message tonight out of the Bible, out of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 5. The party is over. Starting verse 1. Well, we'll get a little background of where we're at. Uh, Babylon has taken uh, Jerusalem, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, under Nebuchadnezzar, took almost everybody out of Judea captive to Babylon. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar reigns for a while, eventually dies. Uh, his son takes over, and then his grandson, Belshazzar, uh, takes over. Now, he's referred to sometimes here as, as the son or, or as Nebuchadnezzar's father, but it's really like his grandfather, and we'll see that in here as well. So that's the setting of where we're at uh, in the time frame for this chapter. So verse 1, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and drank wine in the presence of a thousand. So he's having a huge party. Now the setting also, while they're having this huge party inside Babylon, inside the walls of Babylon, and, and, and we saw some pictures of, of what the entrance way, gate looked like and, and the, the Ishtar gate and, and, um, and, and the walls. The walls were so thick they could race three chariots on it at one time if they wanted. Huge protective walls. And so they're inside partying. But while they're inside partying, outside is the army of the Medes and Persians laying siege to the entire city. And the Babylonians, they're not afraid. Belshazzar, he's having a party, inviting all his lords to his wonderful party. And they're drinking and partying it up. Most sieges, as we read in Bible or history, I mean, they're starving inside, they're, they're eating their babies, they're eating turtle head, turtle dove heads, they're eating turtle dove dung. I mean, they're just starving. They're having a hard time, people starving to death. And here, they're partying. They got the river Euphrates running through it. They got the hanging gardens of Babylon inside. And they're feasting. Wine in abundance and just drinking and wasting it all in this lavish party for his lords, thousands of people present at this party. Belshazzar commanded them to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lord, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. And they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. All right, so they're partying, and now he has gone even further in his... So he's disregarding the, the, the Medo-Persians outside, and now he's gotten brazen, and he's disregarding the God of heaven. And he's bringing the articles of furniture from Jerusalem as a rebuke to Israel to the Jewish people, to the God of heaven, and bringing their gold, their pieces of furniture, and he's looking at those as gods. Right? It says here, they're praising the gods, they're drinking wine and praising the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So he's got his God made out of gold and silver and these different things. And so he assumes in his mind, well, Israel, they had their gods, and they put their gods in their temple. And so these gold goblets and these gold things, these gold pieces of furniture and, and, and instruments that were used in their services must have been their gods. And we, our gods conquered their gods, and so we are bringing them forth in defiance of them, in a show of servitude. We're going to drink from their goblets, and we're praising our gods of gold and silver and wood and stone over their gods as a victory triumph again, bringing them forth 
and mocking them, in a sense, and ruling over Israel, ruling over the gods of Israel. So that's the setting there. The same hour, the finger of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand, the menorah, on the plaster of the wall. Well, which menorah was this? It very well could have been the menorah from the temple that Nebuchadnezzar brought forth. Actually, there were several menorahs. When Solomon built the, the temple, he put lots of menorahs in there. I forget, seven or ten menorahs inside. And so he could have had the menorahs brought as well, as well as the cups and golds, and placed it along the wall. And that's where God chose to write his words. A hand comes and appears and writes on the wall. The hand of a man, right? And so this is God showing himself as a man, or at least a portion of a man, taking on a manly attribute, a personhood attribute, right? And he didn't have to do that. I mean, the, the, the writing could have just showed up there. It could have just been inscribing, right? Uh, when mentions the, and actually this writing here is the writing of God, and it's among the only writings in the entire Bible that are written by God himself. These words that we're going to be reading, three different words, two were written four, twice, so it's four, four words written, but two, the same word written twice, so three different words. These three words and the Ten Commandments are the only words written by God himself. The finger of God. And both times he wrote it in stone. What God says is permanent. What God says is lasting. What God writes is not to be erased, not to be done away with, not to be broken, not to be smashed, not to be trampled upon, not to be ignored, not to be changed. He writes it in stone when God wants to write something. He can write on paper. He can write on papyrus if he wants. He wrote it in stone both times. There is another time when we have Yeshua writing, but we don't know exactly what was written there. It's not recorded what exactly was written, but he wrote it in the sand. Now he was rebuking those that were around him. They wanted him to stone this lady caught in adultery. And he begins writing in the sand. And those standing around accusing her started to leave. And the Bible says they left from the Oldest to the youngest, I think it was. I believe he was writing their sins in the sand. And so the oldest with the most, he wrote their sins, and they began leaving as they began to see their sins being exposed. Now, he wrote it in, sin, in sand because the sins can be washed away. The sins can be blotted out. But God's law and God's judgment stands immovable, in change, unchangeable. And he wrote it in stone. So we have an appearance here of his hand. And again, he didn't have to use his hand. He didn't have to take any attribute. He could have just ding, 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 just had it appear out there in the stone. But he wrote it. He used his hand. Hand of God. And an appearance like a man. So we have an incarnate of Yeshua here in the time of Daniel. At least a portion of his hand appearing there. And writing God's words into stone, the stone wall in the Babylonian courtyard. Important stuff. The king's countenance changed. 
his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loose and his knees knocked together against each other. So here's this king, a mighty king, powerful. He had so much gold amassed and so much wealth amassed. He was probably one of the most wealthiest kingdoms in the world at that time. Power, taking over kingdom after kingdom, some very strong kingdoms, taking them over, conquering them one after another, his father Nebuchadnezzar anyway, and him still ruling over them, grandfather, still ruling over them. Probably one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful man and kingdom in the world at that time. Medo-Persians outside and he could care less. In defiance of them, partying inside. But when the handwriting of God comes and writes on the wall, this mighty, no fear type of a guy, bold, brazen, bring forth the gold goblets from the Jerusalem temple. He had a bumper sticker on his chariot that said, no fear. He had a tattoo on his arm, no fear, macho man. But when the handwriting of God comes, his loins are loosed. It means he pooped his pants. He let it all go. He couldn't hold his insides anymore. He was so terrified. He was scared. That's where we get the phrase from. <laughs> he was scared poopless, right? He was nothing left. It all came out. Right? That's how terrified he was. This mighty man falls to nothing, crumbles, countenance changed, knees knocking. And he can't hold it in. There's a lot of people who think they're strong and powerful and mighty and bullies. But when they come face to face with God, they fall apart. They're nothing in this world. They're nothing in this universe. Now, we might think we're tough, we might think we're smart, we might think we're strong, we might think we're rich, we might think we're secure. We might rule over our household, we might rule over our spouse, we might rule over our children, we might rule at work, we might be the bully in our neighborhood. President of the Homeowners Association, going around telling people what color their houses can be painted. And they got too many weeds and their grass is half an inch too tall. And we're in control of everything. We're in control of nothing. We're really cowards at heart. And this king in his position with all his power and all his wealth totally falls apart. And is shaking in his boots or his sandals or whatever he was wearing. His knees were knocking, he was shaking all over. The hand of God written on the wall. Right? And that's where we get the phrase from. In society today, we still have some phrases right out of the Bible. The handwriting on the wall. That's where it comes from, right here. God's hand, the handwriting on the wall. Being foretold. It's all the handwriting on the wall. Something we were I used to have a Bible literate society. Oh, you said, uh, I don't know you from Adam. That's coming from the Bible. I don't know you. Adam and who's Adam? Adam and Eve. I don't know you. Look, I don't know Adam and Eve. They were born so long before me. I don't know you any more than I know Adam and Eve. 
I mean, we used to have a Bible literate society. He knew these things. He used these phrases. There's another one here. Handwriting on the wall. Here this king is scared. Terrified. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. Whoever reads this writing and tells its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and he shall be third ruler in the kingdom. But they could not read the writing or make known the interpretation. Well, they didn't want to read the writing and refused to make the interpretation. But he says, I'll make you third in the kingdom. So there's the indication that maybe his father is still alive and they're co-reigning co at this point. Maybe his father's getting old and can't party like he used to or whatever, can't reign like he used to. And so there's this co-reigning there. So he says, you'll be third. My dad's still chief and I'm next. And you'd be third in the kingdom below me. You just read the writing on the wall. Just read this for me. Anyone who can read and interpret it. And he brings them all in, all these wise guys. All these intelligent, educated professors of universities. And they can't read three words? Or they're so terrified of the king to tell him what the words say. That they're wimps as well. And they refuse to tell him. Either way. They're either dumb or stupid, right? One way or the other. Dumb or scared. Now the queen said, whether it's the queen mother or his wife queen, one of his wife's queen, but the queen said, there is a man in your kingdom. There is a man in your kingdom, O king. And it ain't you, poopy pants. You're not the man here. The thousands of your lords here aren't the man in your kingdom. All your wise guys and your astrologers and soothsayers and all these other guys you brought in here, they're not the man here. They're all just girly men. You guys are nothing. But there is a man in the kingdom. Amen. Throughout all your kingdom, there is a man, a real man. In whom the Spirit of God is. And that's what makes up a real man. It's not the tough, it's not the brazen, it's not the bold, it's not the daredevil, it's not the drinkers, the bingers, the bullies, not the education, the wealth, the influence. That's not what makes a man. What makes a man is the Spirit of God in him. And when the chips are down, when times get tough, when people's worlds start falling apart on them, and everyone's world will fall apart at some point of time in their life. That's where there's an opening for the man or the woman of God to step forward. 
and that's when they'll seek you out if you're walking like Daniel that's when they'll seek you out that's when someone will speak up and say there is a man in our workplace there's a man or woman here at school there's a man or woman here in their neighborhood who didn't come to your parties But didn't go around boasting and proud, showing off, loud and obnoxious, with a vehicle that's loud and obnoxious. As a woman, a man in our kingdom, in our neighborhood, in our school, in our workplace, in whom is the Spirit of God. And that's who we need to go to. We need prayer. We need help. We need understanding. We need counsel. We need wisdom. And that's when they'll seek us out. Better to not be invited to the party. And to be called on when needed. Better to not go to the parties. Even if invited. If it compromises the truth. They're not to laugh and joke. And Daniel was just one of the guys. Just one of the wise men. Just like everybody else in everybody else's eyes. The queen wouldn't have pointed him out. And said there is a man in the kingdom. The world is looking for men and women who will not be bought who will not be sold, who will not compromise, who will not yield, who will not flip-flop, but whose conscience is true, firm, consistent, stands by their word, stands by the word of God, true to duty, their path is straight, their life is straight. Like a compass needle pointing towards north, consistent every time. That's what the world is longing for. You don't find that in Hollywood. You don't find that on Wall Street. You don't follow that, find that on Main Street. You don't find that in the bars, in the nightclubs. In the dark places of this world. God wrote his words over the menorah. The light of the world. The Messiah, the light of the world that shines in the darkness. Might have been dark in that room somehow or another. When we're doing wickedness, we want it dark. Bars are dark. Concerts, halls of ungodliness is dark. They darken the rooms. Evil deeds done in dark alleyways. Because their sins will be exposed by the light. Fearing the light, fearing the truth, fearing of even being seen by one another. Maybe they realize their character is so ugly, they don't want to even be seen by others. So they darken the place. But in God writes in the light. God's word is in the light. God's truth is in the light. And God wrote his message over the menorah over the lampstand. 
God's word exalted above the darkness of this world. And when they realize how dark the darkness is that they're enveloped in, they'll come and seek out those who are walking in the light. We need to be children of the light, children of God, walking in his presence, walking in his direction, walking under the word of God. As David said, your word is a lamp, a light to my feet, directing my path. Walking in his word, walking in his truth, walking in his laws, walking in his ways, following him, side by side with him, under his banner, together with the Lord. And people will see a difference. Oh, they'll mock us now. They'll jeer us now. They'll tease us now. They'll deride us now. They'll defame us now, and they won't invite us to their party. They won't invite us to their positions. We may not get the promotions. We may not get the acknowledgement at this time. But when the world comes crumbling down, they'll know who the real men and women are. It doesn't take a real man to drink a keg of beer. Any idiot can do that. Lots of idiots do that. doesn't take a real person of character to say yes to temptation. To go along with the devil, to go along with the crowd, to go along with our carnal, selfish nature. That's easy. Just going with the flow. It takes a real person to stand, not walking with the devil, but walking opposed to the devil. Meeting them head on. Meeting them face to face. If you keep on running into the devil, then you're going in the right direction. <laughs> if he's chasing behind you, or if you're running ahead of him, or rather running behind him, you're going the wrong way. Because when we're walking right, we're walking with the Lord, we're going to come into adversity. We're going to come into opposition to the things of this world. We're going to be in harmony with this world. Everything we do and everything we say and everything we think is going to be opposed to the majority of this world and the things of this world and to our own natural natures and desires and inner longings. It takes a real person of God. It takes someone filled with the Spirit of God to be able to stand in opposition to the temptations of this world, to the devil and all his demons, the humans and all the peer pressure, and all the groups and the gangs and the cliques, and the fads in society, to not wear what they tell us to wear, Now watch the junk that they throw at us. To not follow in line with whatever the current thing is. It takes a real person, a real man, a real woman to 
stand against the tide, to stand and walk through the rivers against the flow, and to hold fast, firm on the word and the rock of God. It doesn't take a real man or woman to chase a tiny ball around a big grass field. Or to stand and punch each other in the head until one falls down. That's not the sign of a real man or a real woman. The godly attributes. A gentle man. A comely woman. Serve the Lord. Filled with his spirit. And those are the ones who don't bow down to this world, don't bow down to the things of this world because they bowed down to God. Surrendered all to the Lord. Knelt before him every morning. Lord, without you I can do nothing. I lay all my plans at your feet. Guide and direct my path. I am your servant. Fill me with your spirit. It takes a real woman, a real man, to confess their sins and forsake their sins. To acknowledge their wrongs, to acknowledge their mistakes. To rise up above. Not to come down to their level, tit for tat. Jeering for jeering. Abuse for abuse, name-calling for name-calling, but to rise above it, to ignore it, to defy it, to not allow it to stick to us. Because it's not what they say that matters, but it's what God says that matters. And God says, this is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. That's all that matters. We're standing with the Lord. We're in the Lord's strength, in the Lord's power, in the Lord's might, walking with him, surrendered to him, kneeling before his throne, not bowing to the things and the idols of this world. We're meek, not weak. Because we become weak before God, we're strong before men. And it started with Daniel in chapter 1. And what he did every single day, several times a day, wasn't going to eat the things of this world, even if it cost him his own life. And like his friends, I'm sure if he was, gonna, if he was there on the plains of Dora, he wouldn't have bowed to their statue. Not bowing to these things of the world. Because we bow before God. Strong like Daniel. Able to stand in the face of it all. And the queen saw it and knew it and told the king, there is a man in your kingdom. And he's not here at the party. There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. That's what made the difference. 
King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. An excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel. And she calls him by his Jewish name. She calls him by his Hebrew name, Daniel. God is his judge. She doesn't call him by the Babylonian name that Nebuchadnezzar gave him. She knew he was a man of God in whom is the spirit of God. This lady had surrendered her life to God. She was converted to God. Praise the Lord. And she could tell the difference between a fake man and a real man. Between a fake woman and a real woman. And as a real woman, she stood up to the king and said, King, you're not a man. Go change your pants. You stink. Get a real man and his name is Daniel. And she stood up for the right. And she called him on it. And she exalts Daniel without fear of the king. Or all the lords, the thousands that were there, or all his wise men, his magicians, and his astrologers, she didn't care what they had to say. She pointed out who the true person of God was. In him is the spirit of the holy God. Excellent spirit. Interpreting dreams. Knowledge. Chief over all these other gods. Daniel. And Daniel was brought in, and the king said, Are you that Daniel who is one of those captives of Judah? Are you one of those Jews that Nebuchadnezzar took captive? Are you one of those ones that we destroyed your temple, destroyed your city, and took you captive? Here he is just a couple minutes before, shaking, his knees knocking, loins loosed, stinking up the palace, terrified, crying, someone come, I'll give you everything, gold, silver, purple, I'll make you third in the kingdom. Please, please, please come and read the writing on the wall. I'm scared, I'm terrified, help me. And they bring Daniel in, are oh, you one of those Jews? The hatred and anti-Semitism just shines forth. The Queen Mother says he's got an excellent spirit. He had, was chief over all these people in position and power and influence. With wisdom and knowledge and understanding and discerning. Are you one of those captives? Are you one of our slaves? His heart hadn't changed. Fear struck him. His poop hadn't even dried up hardly by now. His heart hadn't changed. His attitude hadn't changed. Standing there. His mascara running down his face. Terrified one moment, brazen. You're one of those Jews, one of our captives. The only way to get rid of hatred, the only way to get rid of racism, the only way to get rid of anti-Semitism, 
is by surrendering our hearts to the Lord. Won't be scared out of us. Won't be educated out of us. We can take them to Auschwitz and give them all the educational program, take them to the Holocaust Museum, show them all these things. But unless we surrender to the Lord God Almighty, there's no change of heart. Daniel said, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known the interpretation O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. All peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared before him. You think you're a tough guy? Nebuchadnezzar, he was a tough guy. He ruled. Everybody was under him. He ruled over the nations. Like a big tree. All the animals coming into it for food and shelter. He ruled over the nations. They trembled and feared before him. He was tough. He was strong. He was powerful. When his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his throne and his glory taken from him. He was driven away and his heart was made like a beast. And they fed him grass, and he was wet with the dew, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, that he appoints over it whomever he wills. King's willing to let Daniel read the three words on the wall. But Daniel doesn't just settle for that. Daniel says, while I'm here, I'm going to tell you a thing or two. I'm going to teach you a lesson. Daniel, again, had no fear. He didn't fear the hand of God. He didn't fear the love of God. He didn't fear the word of God. And he didn't fear men. Because he feared God. He didn't fear men. And he stood up and he laid it out there. Nebuchadnezzar is all powerful, but then he was humble, eating grass, crawling around like a beast until he knew who the real king was, who the real power source was, the most high God who gives to whoever he wants and is in control of all things. He is who is most powerful. He is the one who reigns over all. Not you, not Nebuchadnezzar, no one else. But you have not humbled your heart. Although you knew all this, God holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways. You have not glorified him. And this is what is written. Right, so Daniel gives him a preamble and lays it right at his feet. He gives him the history and he says, you knew it and you are guilty for knowing it and not applying it to your life. God gave you an example in your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. You didn't learn the lesson from him. You haven't glorified God. You haven't humbled your heart before him. That took chutzpah. That took guts. That's daring to be a Daniel. 
dare to stand alone. This king still had power. He still had his lords there. He still had his guards there. They easily, in human understanding, cut him down right there. Speared him right through right then and there. Shut him up right then. But all these wise magicians, all these astrologers and Chaldeans and soothsayers and lords, over thousands, they're speechless at the rebuke of a man of God. They're silenced. Because God is speaking through Daniel. And again, they may mock us now, but a time will come. We're standing in the right. If our character is humbled before the Lord, filled with God's Spirit, They'll seek you out. And you'll have your time to talk. You'll have your time to say. You'll be able to lay it before. This is what is written. Meanie, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. And it says it again. Meanie, meanie. says the same word twice. God has numbered your kingdom. It's finished. You've been numbered. You've been numbered. You've been counted. You've been given a chance. Your days were numbered. You knew these things. God gave you a time. God loves you. And in mercy, God gave you opportunity to know the history of your grandfather. In mercy, God gave you the message of, of your father's, your grandfather's Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, his proclamation from Daniel chapter 4. Which if you missed, it's on shalomadventure.com. You can read it in the Bible or you can even see the sermon. God loves you. He gave you all this time, gave you this position, gave you that throne. Tekel, and you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. God is judge, and God judges all things. God has been weighing your life. The judgment day is coming upon this world, and all will be judged and weighed on the balances of God, not on how many good things we do compared to how many bad things we do, but weighed in comparison to the law of God. As our character met the straight testimony of the word of God. Weighed in the balances, balances of found wanting. How much weight did it take to tip the scales for Adam and Eve? One sin. Not accounting how many good, how many bad. Rebellion is rebellion. Defiance is defiance. And when he crossed the line, calling for the goblets of Jerusalem, he crossed the line. And that hour, a hand came and wrote on the wall. There'll be a handwriting on the wall for each of us. Only to make a decision. To hear God's warning. To hear God's message. And to yield to it. Or to rebel. And this will be the result. And your kingdom is divided. And given to the Medes and Persians. Three simple words. Probably in Hebrew. Tell me these 
wise men, magicians, astrologers, they didn't know, they couldn't read Hebrew. These learned people conquered these nations, didn't learn the languages of these nations. Daniel can come and read it. The God of heaven. The God, the most high God. Been weighed in the balances. Found wanting. Belshazzar clothed Daniel with purple and put chain of gold around his neck and made him third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar was slain and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. That night. For all those months, they couldn't get through the walls. They were so secure inside, throwing food over at the Medo-Persians. We got lots of food in here. You're hot and out in the desert there. We'll give you some food, throw and mock in them. But that night, when God said it, the judgment of God came that night and was over. They weren't starving to death inside. They weren't fearing. The walls weren't getting broken. The doors weren't breaking. They didn't have all their soldiers guarding the walls. They were partying inside. But that night, it was over. When God says it's over, it's over. And it's an amazing story, and we'll get into it another night. Powerful story. How it happened that very night. Why it happened that very night. Prophesied over 150 years in advance. In detail. We'll cover that another night. But for now, for us, God's been speaking to your heart and mind. Maybe there's been some area in your life where you've been vacillating. Some area where maybe you've been a good witness to some people, but at times not a great witness. And if they had a rough time and they were thinking, who can I go to? Who's consistent? Who's secure? Who has wisdom? Who has knowledge? Who prays? Who's earnest in prayer? Who sees answers to prayer? Who can I go to for help? And they think about you and they say, well, sometimes, but sometimes not, I don't know. There have been inconsistencies in your life. You want to surrender that to the Lord. Daniel could walk straight. We can walk straight as well. By God's grace, the same way. And so in a moment when we pray, you can surrender those inconsistencies. Flip-flopping. Let God strengthen you in the heart. That they will say, there's a woman, there's a man in whom is the Spirit of God. Secondly, there's an area in your life where you've been consistently yielding. Where you haven't been willing to stand for the right. Where you're in rebellion against God. Where you're being weighed in the balances. And God is seeing your life and recording your life. And there's some sin on your record. You need to surrender to God. In the moment when we pray, surrender that to Him. That your record might be cleansed and purified and made right. So you can stand right with God. Third, if there's some area in your life that you're fearing, some fear that you have. 
some area where you're fearing peer pressure, fearing others at school, you're fearing opinions of other people. And you're going along with them, going along with the world, partying with the world, laughing with the world. Maybe even just at your own TV set. Maybe only just at your own computer screen. But you're right there with them. Listening, viewing, reading the same things of this world. And God's calling you to stand apart. To stand with God. You're fearing being alone, fearing being isolated, fearing being peculiar, fearing being different. Surrender those fears to the Lord. Fourth, if you think you're tough, you think you're strong, you think you're wise, you think you're smart, smartest person in the room, secure, Got my money, got my bank account, got my security, got my retirement, got my 401, got my social security, got my house, my lock, my keys. I got my smarts, I got my wisdom, I got my health. You think you're strong. You think you're tough. You want to surrender all and be weak before the Lord. The moment we pray. Surrender all to him. Fifth, have you been a tough bully? You've been bullying others around, pushing others around. Controlling, manipulating. Maybe it's just your younger sibling. Maybe it's just someone in your life. Or maybe just one person. Maybe just one area. Maybe just one thing. Surrender it to the Lord. Let God be God and all of us equal before him. If any of those areas apply to your life, if you want the strength of the Spirit of God to fill you, cleanse you from sin, to fill you with his Spirit, so that others see it and shines out in our life, in our actions, in our words, in our deeds, so we can boldly stand before princes and kings and judges and testify before God without yielding. Because a time is coming where we will stand, whether before the judgment seat of God or the judges of this world. We'll either have an opportunity to testify for God or yield. We need God's strength to stand at that time. And so if those, any of those areas apply to you, or maybe some other area that God's been speaking to your heart and mind about that you need to just surrender and get right with him and be right with him and be filled with him and whatever needs you have, whatever spirit in spirit you need, whatever character traits that need to be strengthened and filled with, as we pray, let God do his work. Mm-hmm. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name, Lord, and we thank you for your word in Daniel. Thank you for your spirit in Daniel. Thank you for the shine forth and thank you that the queen saw it. Thank you that he was able to stand in the darkness and shine as your light. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your oil. Fill us with your light. 
and shine out of us. Forgive us and cleanse us through the blood of Messiah and wash us clean. And let your light shine in us and minister through us. And may we speak a word in season, speak your truth in love. Thank you for your love and your mercy towards the Belshazzars of this world. Thank you also that you rule on high and that you have a line. Lord, bring us into your truth and in line with you. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.